Uh, well, hello there, listener. Can you do the otter dance? <laughs> no, it's, I guess it's ahoy there, sailor. Can you do the otter dance? Anyway, listener, ahoy there. Um, this is a podcast called Cosplay and Cocktails. Um, my name is Jesse, as always. And as is, always. Oh, shit, I forgot you did that. And this is my lovely co-host. Hi there, I'm Paige. There we go. That uh, was weird. That felt weird, but we're just gonna go with it. I didn't, it didn't feel weird to me. Uh, Jesse, I mean, why why keep them waiting? Tell them. Get let's get into cocktail corner. So, the cocktail that I've been enjoying this evening is called Topo Chico. Please sponsor us. Um, these are Topo Chico is a they make a sparkling water, mineral water. That's very, very good. But they also make a hard seltzer. And these are actually the margarita seltzers. Oh, oh. Seltzers. So, um, dear friend of the podcast, Sheila, and really, J-Man is the I one I was going to say, it was mostly Big J-Man. Mostly Big J-Man. Um, he got us a little Texas uh, goodie bag. Yeah, and and by I, little I mean huge and huge. and but anyway, there was I had seen at dinner. I was like, Topo Chico makes a hard seltzer, and less than twelve hours later, upon our doorstep was brought Topo Chico hard seltzers. Uh, I'm having exotic pineapple is the name of the flavor i'm having and i really haven't had that much but it turns out that two hard seltzers are enough to get me turned these days turned so, yeah uh, that's what the young people call drunk i work with the youth you work you you speak the lingo yeah so i'm having i did um spice it up a little bit with um some uh fresh lemon juice and that's right you guessed it listeners six lux ardo cherries you it, um, if you give me a mediocre cocktail and you put six Luxardo cherries in it, boom, I'm there. You, you want to know what I look for in a cocktail? Beer. That's not a cocktail. That's by definition not a cocktail. <laughs> no, I'm just on a big beer kick recently. I can't. You not even recently, like for a while now. Yeah, it's, it's been on the podcast. Maybe about a year, really. I think it's because um. All you have to do is open it. It's easy. Like, I like coming up. But like, and also, I didn't even used to like beer. And then like just something changed like over the yeah, pandemic. I'm, I'm the opposite. I used to drink a lot more beer. And now I'm kind of like, Ugh. Uh, let's get into the episode. Um, on today's episode, we have an interview with author and historian Andrew Liptak. Um, he recently wrote a book um, and he's going to tell you about it um so welcome andrew uh andrew is a journalist a historian um and sometimes a stormtrooper he's a member of the 501st and he actually just wrote a book called cosplay a history um and he's going to tell us all about it today thank you for having me the uh the full 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 title of the book is the builders uh, cosplay a history the builders fans and makers who bring your favorite stories to life that, that's the uh the long academic <laughs> I've always wanted to write a history book where it's like has like the super long title at the end or uh, in it. So my there dream has been achieved there. 
<laughs> uh, all right. So you are a member of the 501st. We've talked about uh, the 501st a lot on the podcast before, if you're a regular listener. So um, what motivated you to write this book? Was it, um, is it because of your uh, participation in the 501st or uh, was there something else behind that? Yeah, so what happened is I looked up the uh, I looked up the answer to this a little while ago. Back in 2016 um, is when I when I first got the email. Um, I had known an editor at Saga Press named Joe Monty, and he's he was sort of founded the he was a he used to be an agent a long time ago and represented a, a bunch of uh, pretty well known science fiction fantasy folks. And I'd known him over the years because I'd reviewed a whole bunch of his books, and we just sort you know through the science fiction world we just sort of chatted over the years i think i had lunch with them at some point and it was just one of those um things where you sort of know somebody in the industry and um he he knew i was a stormtrooper like that's like sort of a, a thing i do so uh, some folks within the science fiction world sort of know that and i he got in touch and he, he had heard about a story about the 501st and um i'll say that the year before so this would have been 2015 he had gotten in he had seen uh, there's this, this guy who had lost his wife to can I think it was cancer. Um, and he, you know, to sort of honor her memory, he decided to walk 501 miles from Northern California at a place from a place called Rancho Obi-Wan, which is a sort of a Star Wars memorabilia museum. Yeah. And then walked all the way to, to San Diego Comic-Con. And he's, you know, that's a pretty, it, it, I should mention in armor. Um, this was a, oh. a stormtrooper armor. And uh, so Joe, Joe thought this was interesting. So he got in touch and was like, you know, is there a story here? This, this is a pretty neat or pretty interesting thing. And it's a pretty extreme thing for somebody to do. And so we, you know, sort of planned like, yeah, like I'm a member of the Bible first. And I've, I've generally been interested in science fiction, fantasy history and, and Bible first history. And it, it seemed like it would be kind of a neat thing to, to try out. And so we put together an outline and, and sort of a, a beat by beat story of the Bible first legion. And, um, you know, for a, a good chunk of time we, we sort of tried to make it work um for a whole bunch of reasons that that version of the story never quite you know ended up happening um but as i was doing the, the development process for it i was beginning to realize like i had a chapter in there about like all right where, where did cosplay come from in the first place and i as i sort of worked on it more and more i realized that you know in order to really tell this story like the more interesting story here is that the final first is I, i'm I, again, I'm a member, so I, I thought it was pretty interesting just from a his, historical point of view, because it sort of bridges this interesting period of time within the fan, you know, the the fan community and the the sort of mainstreaming of geek, geek culture. Um, but the more interesting story, as it started to turn out, was the broader history of cosplay. So, like, where did why do we start wearing costumes? And in, in order to sort of for, fully understand where the five first came from, you sort of had to go back and understand like what is the what are the outlines of the world that it's part of? Uh, because it's just a small part, you know, it, it's a, there's a lot of members and it's a big group, but it, it's, it's just part of the cosplay world. So we, you know, I, I stopped the, the original 501st idea and basically retooled the project. Um, around that time I met my agent, uh, Seth Fishman, and, and we basically repitched the project as like this much broader history of cosplay and not just sort of like where it's been and trying to find like what some of the earlier in, uh, earlier examples were but like what why is it why has it gone mainstream and like what is um why has it gotten you know the level of popularity that it has now 
And, you know, that's that's pretty much the book we ended up with is it's, it's a very broad look at like how did cosplay come about um, and, you know, why why did it evolve to be the place where it has been where we have where we find it today. And uh, yeah, that's how I came to write the book is <laughs> they liked that idea and um, and I got to writing. Now, but we announced the book in 2019. So, um, you know, there wasn't like a ton of work. I mean, there's a lot of work that went into it before that, but like the actual writing and research started in 2019. Awesome. So you mentioned, you know, you've mentioned the 501st, we mentioned them, um, and you just mentioned the cosplay community. So was the 501st like your introduction? What was your introduction to the community and, and cosplaying in general? Um, I know that you're a big Star Wars fan. So um, and of course, I, we've we've read the book, so we know the answer. But <laughs> yeah, just just a tad bit. I, I don't know what what could have possibly given me away there. Um, yeah, like I, I got I got into Star Wars when my my dad took me to see A New Hope in uh, 1997 uh, for the new, for the special editions. And um it really blew me away. Like I, I, you know, was a was primed at the right age. I was 12 years old and just, you know, glued to the screen. Um, I remember just thinking like how cool the stormtroopers looked like the armor, the armor just really just captured my imagination. And I always really liked the look of it. So like the action figures I'd collect afterwards were, you know, stormtroopers and, and things like that. I just always really liked the look and feel of that armor. And, you know, at, at high school, I sort of thought, well, maybe can I like in shop class, can I like make it out of metal or something and it, I never really quite got to the point I, I didn't really I guess I didn't really want to make it like an imitation I wanted like the actual thing and so um senior year of high school I got um we, we played I was in band we played Star Wars and we invited a member of the 501st up and um you know he just took down the house when we played Imperial March and he just he marched down the aisle and um afterwards he you know we, I would asked him how, you know, how do I get my own set of armor? And he ended up, you know, being the guy who sold it to me. Um, he sold me a rock kit and um, I, I made it that fall. And um, that's, that was my, my first introduction. Um, a couple of, you know, over the, over the years, like I didn't really understand, I didn't really have any idea of what conventions were at that point. Like I just thought it was cool to have. And I, so I went to Halloween in it. I worked at a summer camp and I used it at summer camp. Um, wore it at college a couple of times for just to show off to friends and things like that. And it wasn't until um, Celebration 3 in Indianapolis. Uh, so this would have been 2005. I, it was the big Star Wars convention that year. Revenge of the Sith was about to come out. And um, I basically flew out to Indianapolis and met other people like me that, that into Star Wars. Um, I, I took part in the, uh, the big final first picture and... Um, there was a little like sort of parade around the convention center, which was cool. And I um, ended up volunteering and, and helped out with the author line. So I met a lot of the authors and just, you know, was really thought it was really just cool to be part of that big group. Um, and after I graduated from college a couple of years later, I ended up, um, you know, I had a car, I had, um, you know, the, the weekends free. So I started going down to events in my local area. Um, we did parades, uh, march in, uh, you know, I had uh, like, uh, breast cancer and um, uh, autism walks and and just a lot of things like that. Uh, the Boston St. Patrick's Day Parade is a lot of fun when you're dressed up in a costume uh, in South Boston. Um, and, uh, you know, a, a, a Weird Al did a concert uh, and he invited us on stage uh, as backup dancers. So I've done that a couple of times. That was a lot of fun. 
And uh, yeah, so that was sort of my introduction to sort of the, the cosplay community was through the 501st. And I ended up going, um, you know, once I sort of, you know, you know, all right, this is what conventions are and started going to more with friends. You know, I, that's when I sort of branched into other Star Wars costumes. I ended up doing a, a Attack of the Clones era clone. Um, I did a Daniel Jackson costume from Stargate SG-1 and a Sam Bell costume from Moon and a, a couple of other ones along the way. And um, yeah, that's that's basically how I got into cosplay. What about the cosplay community like really drew you in? Like what, you know, we talk about that a lot on the podcast is like, why we love cosplay so much is that community what about conventions in the community was the like selling factor for you or was it just oh I like dressing up it, it's the community that comes with it so and and the final first is sort of an is sort of a, a strange not really exceptional cause here but it's it's like its own little world in and of itself um, so within the 501st, I met a lot of people who have become lifelong friends and, you know, people who were in my wedding party and, um, you know, just super close friends, um, that I've, you know, kept in touch with for more than, you know, going on, you know, probably 15 years now. And, you know, those are really like strong social bonds. And it, it's really something that is, you know, it's a really powerful thing is that is to have these, you know, people that have these shared interests with you. And to, you know, take part in these events and have these shared stories. Um, so like we, you know, you go to events and you like, after, you know, a couple of years, you have all, you know, you sort of have the war stories from where you are, you know, the, 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 the crazy things that you've seen during an event or like, um, you know, some of the silly pranks we've done or some of the, the awesome moments in a build and stuff, all sorts of things like that. I, I like, like one of them, for example, is. The, uh, the Boston St. Patrick's Day Parade is always a, is always good for for anecdotal stories. Like we were walking by a building and like somebody fell off the roof, and everybody was like, uh, like somebody came running up to us, like do something. Or like, <laughs> what do you want us to do? Like this, go get the police officer that's standing over there. They can help. <laughs> and fortunately, the person was okay. Like they were, I think they were just drunk enough that it like any impacts didn't. It, they were they were like loose enough that they didn't get seriously injured. Yeah. But there was. A, um, you know, just like a lot of things like that. And like, you know, it's like with any group, like, like a D and D group, you sort of always re recount like the tales of your, your battles, your battle stories and things. So that's a big part of it. Um, you know, I, I have really fond memories of, of traveling from, um, like Massachusetts to pick up a friend. And then we drove into New York city to take part in a Lucasfilm event with Snoop Dogg. And it's like, I have, you know, it, it's, they're always just a lot of fun. Um, and then the same thing with like conventions is like, um, you know, either you, it's the people that you meet and interact with and just, you know, be, become really good, good friends with, even though you've just met them for the first time, usually. And so that that's a big thing that I really wanted to sort of capture in the book and, and just to, because it, it's such an int integral part of the cosplay community is, is you know, just this, this large worldwide sense of shared uh, uh, fandom for something. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. Yeah, yeah. We I totally don't think I'm a completely different person in cosplay, <laughs> but in my everyday life, I'm very reserved. I'm ve have like huge social anxiety. Yeah. I, you know, the confidence builder. In cosplay, I'm like popping up. Paige always says that I like hop up at people like behind a trash can, and I'm like, I like your cosplay, and I'm just like popping around corners, and people don't see me, and I'm like scaring them with compliments. Yeah, but yeah, that's a great way to say it. You scare them. So it's allowed me to make friends that I wouldn't make otherwise because I wouldn't have had the confidence to talk to them 
if I didn't know that we already had this thing, not only something in common, but something that we're passionate enough, passionate enough to spend all this money and time and, you know, hot glue gun burns and <laughs> just cut myself with a box cutter earlier today. So, uh, you know, however like, many years you've, you've shaved off your life by breathing in resin dust or, right, or fumes. Right. Yeah. That's, I'm a chemistry teacher and I've definitely thought like, I'm definitely the clock is ticking. <laughs> I've, I've breathed in some things that no human should be breathing. Cyclohexane. Yeah, yeah you, sh you should never taste Bondo. It's just not a thing that should happen. <laughs> uh, super glue on my teeth. Oh, uh, how did that happen? And I have how? a teeth cleaning. Well, because <laughs> I put a super glue cap in my mouth <laughs> while I was like holding something. Not as was, interesting as it could have been. Yeah, I mean, I didn't like, it wasn't like I was like, huh, I wonder, I've always wondered what super glue tastes like. <laughs> uh, perhaps I'll have a bit. No, I'm not quite that stupid, but uh, I mean, I <laughs> still got super glue on my teeth, so I guess that's debatable. Uh, this, I, went, this, I went to a bar once and there was like, I, I had a beer that it was like, a, it was one of those breweries that makes their own stuff. And I was I, had a drink i'm like this tastes exactly like bondo and i, I mentioned it to somebody <laughs> online and they were like how do you know that like cosplayer <laughs> yeah don't worry <laughs> about it tell the uh person that made the beer like oh your beer tastes like bondo is that what you were going for or the chemical <laughs> chemical burns taste yeah it was, um, it was a very it was a very not a great not a great uh, thing accompaniment for my my burger <laughs> fries. <laughs> uh, so this is an aside, and we can cut it out of the episode if you want. I want to hear more about this event with Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg, yeah, Lucas Arts. Yeah, this is this is one this is one of the weird things that we like. I mean, not weird things. It's it's one of the weird advantages that the Five Hundred First has, um, just because it there, there's a. We, we have a we have a certain level of entry standards to to join the group you have to sort of meet we have a, what are called the crl it's a costume reference library and it's basically like a check not really a checklist but it's a list of items that like this is what these all these items need to look like and the idea the, the idea behind that is that you know you ha if you have a stormtrooper in one part of the world it should look like the one that's on the screen and in theory every stormtrooper that comes into the group sort of looks pretty close to one another um and the what you get from that is you have a, a pool of, of troopers that, you know, and, and, and along with alongside this is you have a, a pretty close relationship to Lucasfilm because they, they've been aware of our efforts and, and um, they're like, oh, hey, you know, we need a stormtrooper for this. We'll, we'll bring in stormtroopers. Um, the second season, uh, sorry, first season of The Mandalorian, the finale, um, those are 501st stormtroopers who are in behind Moff Gideon um, backing them up. Oh, and I, cool. I, I'm pretty sure in the, the latest season of Obi-Wan Kenobi, there's a couple scenes where there's tons of stormtroopers. A lot of those are our 501st members um, because we have the costumes and they are of, of decent enough quality that, you know, they will pass muster on the big screen. And that's sort of a, a nice vote of confidence because, you know, like the what we often say is like, we want to be able to seem like we have stepped off the screen. So in some cases, it actually works. So, um, so long before that, I had... Um, you know, Lucasfilm would bring us out for, especially this is sort of the pre-Disney world, the, the pre-Disney years when they, they were a little bit looser with like what they would, you know, sponsor, you know, bring out with Stormtroopers or, or you know, bring out costume support for some of these bigger like product launches. Um, I don't remember what year this was. This is probably uh, 2000, 
2008 maybe um and so that there was this like he just had this collaboration um between um you know the adidas and star wars like i i don't know how these things are cooked up they're somehow <laughs> somehow that happens and um they were unveiling them in new york city so they're like hey we need we want to have him we want to you know have a bunch of stormtroopers behind him so um they put out a call for uh sort of like a, a cast event and we basically you know i put my name in the hat and you know they give us like you know take a picture of your yourself from like front sides behind uh gave us your height and so like a, it's like a sort of a casting call and um I, I along with a couple of other friends were selected and um we they said all right you know show up at show up down in new york city we'll we'll pay for like your your travel um to, like you know if you're driving down we'll pay for your gas or whatever and um yeah we you know showed up at the right place at the right time and you know suited up and they put us on a bus and along with some adidas models and um we formed a line of two two long lines of stormtroopers and we marched behind them through times square and then we went over to a, a a store where they we basically sort of milled around the store for a while, um, and basically um, just were there for photos and and um, the paparazzi, like paparazzi and and um, our journalists were were um, outside taking pictures of us and um, yeah that was that was it it was it was a very surreal <laughs> it was a very surreal event <laughs> so yeah that's, that's awesome yeah. yeah. He was very tall too. I, I, I was not really, uh, I'm, I'm a white kid from Vermont. I was not really up on my Snoop Dogg, uh, you know, knowledge. And he was, he was just a very tall man. <laughs> See, I know a lot about Snoop Dogg because of two things. One of our friends, her 62, 63 year old mother, for some reason is obsessed with Snoop Dogg. She just likes his vibe. So <laughs> Uh, she will just like when we're at like a family event, you know, they're having a cookout or something. She will just bust out Snoop Dogg fact. That's awesome. Um, As you should. And also because of uh, a movie he did with Wiz Khalifa where I caught a math error and submitted it to IMDb and they never, they never put it on the IMDb <laughs> page for the movie. Cause wonder why. Wonder why yeah. <laughs> it is a legitimate math error and i legitimately solved it i was like it should be one and snoop dogg it's awesome. says it's why snoop dogg's actually wrong at math if you can believe that and <laughs> it's called um, something someone and someone go to high school it's with okay. and snoop dogg are in high school there's a math error in the end if anybody ever watches it uh, check it out Check it out. <laughs> if you're a math nerd, don't watch it. You will be mad, and I will not care. So I really that. hate to get away from the Snoop Dogg conversation because you know there's nothing we love than more than a little Snoop Dogg. Um, I but I want to ask. Accurate statement. That's true. <laughs> I was just trying to be chill about Snoop Dogg, um, but I want to know about um, some of the research you did for this book because. Um, that kind of seems daunting to me. You know, we've done some different episodes on the podcast where we've tried to do some research and mm -hmm. I, you know, the only research I've ever done was like writing papers in school kind of thing. So, um, how did you like, as a member of the cosplay community and like, you know, something you're so passionate about, how did you, um, research to make sure that you accurately depicted the story? of cosplay to the readers 
Yeah. So my my background is 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 as a historian. I I graduated from college with a, a bachelor's in history, and then I graduated again with a a, a, a master's degree in military history from uh, Norwich University, which was the um, as a school up here in Vermont. It's the first private military academy in the U.S. Um, and I, I was a civilian there, but that's where I sort of got interested in uh, military history. <clears throat> um, so I had. It's just always been something I've been interested in. My my family had gone to like Civil War battlefields when I was a kid, and just it was just something I had just liked doing. And and as I've um, um, as I sort of drifted into journalism, um, I, I found that it was a really it was a really useful tool set to be able to use to approach stories and sort of try to draw some relevance to you know try to look at like stuff that was happening in the modern day and trying to add um, some relevance to them and by looking looking at like where, where we'd come from before um so i i used to write for a site called io9 and i wrote a bit about space history and um and I, I jumped over to a site called the verge and um also you know applied some history stuff there and that, that has always been sort of a, a a thing that i've been interested in um just in general um just using it to add context to stuff um, because like what the modern world is right now is, you know, it's built on the, the foundation of what has come before. So that's basically been my, my worldview for how, um, how to approach a lot of the stuff that I covered. Like, you know, how, what is, what is the environment that led to this moment is probably a good way to describe it. Uh, over the years, I, I've written about science fiction and fantasy history. Um, I wrote a column for Kirkus Reviews for a, a couple of years about the history of science fiction. And, um, that was a, a lot of that was sort of profiling authors and books and notable moments in the science fiction world to sort of understand, you know, how, how do you go from like science fiction coming about in the 1920s up to the modern day? And, you know, over, over that time, I'd, I'd come across convention, you know, convention history. And I, I knew about um, that uh, a guy named Forrest Ackerman and uh, Moroho, uh, Myrtle, his girlfriend, Myrtle Douglas had, um, uh, showing up to some of the early cons and costumes, but I hadn't really dug into that before. Mm -hmm. And um, basically, you know, that when it, when it came time to write the book, what I started, what I did is I basically wrote out a, sort of a, a rough timeline of, all right, so 501st is founded in 97. Um, what are some other examples of where, like, there's notable moments in cosplay history? All right, so 1939 is when, when this first convention happens way back when. Right. there's a lot of blank space in there. So what happens in there? So I, I did a lot of like sort of book work, book work and, and um, other research just to sort of figure out like, all right, what are some of the notable moments? All right, Star Wars comes out 1977. I knew of pictures of, and, and um, uh, stories of, of, of cosplayers who had um, made costumes, you know, in 1977 after watching the film a gazillion times. So that was a data point. And then, um, you know, what are some other data points that I could throw in there? Like when was the re replica props form founded? Okay, there's another data point. And then, you, you know, as you go back and forth through time, you start trying, you know, and as, as I'm reading up on stuff and looking at various, either various articles or various um, uh, books and other things that sort of intersected with this, you know, as you fill up the timeline pretty, pretty easily. Right. And then you sort of look for items that come before that. So like, what are other examples of where people are dressing up in costume for, to do this sort of thing? So part of that is, is looking through old newspapers and like looking for keywords. Um, the, the internet is great for this. Like newspapers.com was a really great resource because I was able to sort of like search for like, all right, Halloween costume or 
um, Mr. Skygak. And you, know, you, find, you find examples of this and you can add those in as data points. And in some cases, there are there are examples of where you find stuff like just completely randomly, like oh, like you know, do you, you go down a rabbit hole and hey, there's this thing. Um, so that happened with like with uh, uh, the science fiction author Jules Verne, um, who had thrown a costume party at his house, and um, people showed up as his characters. That was a, a cool data point, and I kind of annoyingly and funnily, I found after I turned in my final draft for the book, I found a couple more examples. Um, Arthur Conan Doyle dressed up as one of his characters, uh, Miss, uh, Professor Challenger from The Lost World, because he liked the character so much. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I learned about another example. Uh, there's a Roman emperor who dressed up as Hercules or had a bust made up of Hercules. And I'm guessing if you're a Roman emperor and you, re you really like Hercules enough to make a bust out of it, you're going to dress up at some point. Um, I have to do a little bit more looking into that because it's just kind of a neat story. But so you, you find all these data points and, and so from there, I sort of, you know, you construct a bit of a timeline and sort of figure out, all right, so this is sort of the progression that this hobby takes. Mm -hmm. um, one of the greatest resources that I had is there's a site called fanact.org. And it's a, basically a fan history project. It's, it's a, or a history project for fandom. They collected all sorts of pr uh, primary sources, which was um, the, 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 pr the convention updates that they send out to fa uh, the fans who are signing up for Worldcon and other conventions. And if you read them, little by you know in sequence you sort of see that you know and, and looking for costuming stuff you see that like all right this is sort of a, a really random thing that happens in this one convention but then the next couple conventions as people more people dress up in costume and attend these conventions you see that it becomes this sort of formalized thing and so that was a big part of the research was just trying to figure out like how did people's behavior change um after you know you see somebody dressing up in costume you you can think like oh that's thing i can do um, and the other component to this was, was talking to people. So I, I went to 2019, I went to a whole bunch of conventions. Um, I went to uh, Star Wars Celebration, Dragon Con, um, Rhode Island Comic Con, Boston Fan Expo, Fan Expo Boston. Um, and along the way, I was, I was meeting up with people and interviewing people um, who I had found who were you know, part of this community at various points. So uh, Alvin Johnson founded the 501st and he was at Dragon Con and I, I'd met him before a couple of times and chatted with him so he knew who I was I wasn't just some, some random person coming out tell me about the 501st history um, <laughs> I'm sure that happens to him every now and then but that was, oh, not, sure. that was not me um, but and, and another person uh, Sherilyn Lambeth who was also she had she, she was uh, you know as part of the 501st for as long as as Alvin has been and so you know talk to these folks and talk to people who are in the modern scene and people who are um you know, just every time I talk to somebody, I learn of a new person to chat with, or as I do research, I like, you know, ask people like, you know, is there, is, are there other people to chat with? And, um, you know, I found a, a woman named Astrid Baer, um, who is the daughter of Frederick Pohl, who's a big, uh, a legendary science fiction author. And um, she's, uh, her, her husband is, uh, is Greg Baer, who's another uh, prominent science fiction author. And she'd been, you know, so she had grown up in the con community. And so she had dressed up as Star Trek, uh, Star Trek characters, really, really early on. And she had, um, she saw the transition of before, before Star Trek and after Star Trek and saw the impact that that show had. And so the, the, those sorts of interviews and those sorts of chats with folks were really important to understand because they were the ones who were there. Um, and they were able to sort of tell me like, what were they thinking? And like, why did they do this? And like, how do they go about making these costumes? So that was a, that was a, a, a huge important thing to do. 
as a, you know, to chat with folks who are involved at, at all levels, you know, historical and, you know, people who were there um, in the modern day. Um, I wasn't able to talk to everybody that I was able to talk to. And um, uh, something I'll, I'll mention is this is cosplay a history. Um, there's, this is such a huge field and there are so many people in it that, that it's, you know, it's impossible to get a comprehensive story. And, um, you know, so I, I, I think I got a pretty good broad range and cover a lot of bases on it, but um, you know, there's always more stories and there's always, you know, just there's, it, it, it's sort of like um, zooming in on something and getting more and more and more detail. Um, and so that, that's just sort of the, the, uh, the long and short of, of that um, research pro process. So while you're doing this research and you're talking to people and you're meeting people, was there anything that just like really surprised you that you did not know before? Um, whether it's about like the culture or the history or whatever, was there anything that just really stood out to you as interesting or surprising? One of the things that sort of occurred to me later in the process is how much of this is sort of an economic and access story. Um, so I had, I had joined the 501st because I got a suit of Stormtrooper armor and I, I never really thought about like, what is the, you know what what are the what are the barriers to entry for folks and or or what are what are the avenues that folks get into the the cosplay world and how do those avenues and those barriers sort of shape the field as it is so the 501st legion is you know I, I, last i looked sort of demographically it's it's largely a, a, a male organization um there's there's certainly tons and tons of women in it but it, you know just the percentage wise it, it's it men sort of outnumber the women um and it, it, it's always sort of struck me is that the group is sort of like a, is sort of one that is, uh, you know, it, it's sort of, there's a certain demographic that is able to sort of, you know, you're 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 years old, you have a, you have a, you know, a, a fairly stable, you know, basically, you know, blue collar worker or um, you have a stable job, you might have a, a house and space and time and resources and money to, to devote to this hobby. At least, you know, at least early on, and um, you know that those elements really help shape what it looks like and what helps shape the group um, early on. And this is not just the five hundred first. Like if you if you go back to early fandom, you know, it was, it was fairly heavily male um, male dominated until Star Trek comes along, and uh, you know, all of the female fans sort of come into fandom because they liked um, they they liked. Um, um, Kirk and Spock and um, had seen it through, um, you know, the public access TV or wherever they were, wherever there were, were reruns of the original show. So right. you have, um, you know, that Star Trek going, uh, being syndicated was a huge, um, yeah, a huge avenue for, for people to come in because they, they might not have come across science fiction in the, the traditional way, which was to say um, science fiction pulp magazines or, or novels. Um, but because it was on TV, people grew up with it and, or happened to see it on TV and they're like, oh, like, this is a thing I, I realize I like, <clears throat> um, the, the sort of economic story here is that like the, you pull away those barrier, those cost barriers, cause you know, getting a set of server armor can be expensive. Um, you, you pull those barriers away as you, a, you see more characters that look like yourself as, as this, as studios sort of, um, try, you know, diversify their their casts um 
as they, you know, try to bring more people of color in, more women in, and putting them in prominent roles rather than sort of relegating them to the background when they are there at all. Um, but also you have people who come up with really innovative ideas. Like um, there's, a, there's a, a woman named, or a, an individual named Penwiper um, who basically put together tutorials. Of, this is how you make uh, ar cosplay armor out of EVA foam, uh, which is the stuff you find in yoga mats. And those, those directions allow more people to come into the cosplay world because it's a very cost-effective way to make uh, armor or to make costume parts rather than needing a lot of specialized materials like a vacuformer or, um, you know, just whatever. You can, you can just use a, a, a razor blade and uh, a heat gun or a, a really hot um, hairdryer and you can mold that material into whatever you, um, you know, whatever shape you need it to be. And so that was a that was a big thing. Um, three the the cost of three D printers has come down because the patents had begun to expire about ten years ago, and so three D printers become cheaper, and as a result, more people can can use them and buy them and put them in their homes, um, you know, where they might have cost tens of thousands of dollars before. You know, that's out of reach for most people. But if you have you know, a printer that comes down to like $250, that doesn't mean everybody can buy it, but you know, a much, much, it's a much more reasonable expense for somebody who might be a hobbyist. So that's, that was sort of like the big interesting thing that I sort of an, an aha moment for me was like, just that um, the environment really shapes who can be there. And um, you know, that's can be economics. It can be social. And as we've, as the entertainment world has changed, as as the the technology has changed, um, that has really shifted, you know, and and made allowed cosplay to become a much bigger thing and a much bigger movement around the world. Yeah, we talk a lot about like cosplay on budget and stuff. So, um, you know, there there are things that are just kind of out of budget for most people. Um, I think that is a really like interesting part of cosplay is okay, yeah, this part of this um, hobby can be so expensive, but we try really hard on the podcast if we find a cheaper way to do something or, um, you know, whether it works really well or not, we talk yeah. about like, okay, here's how we did it to try to do it on a more budget-friendly version, or here's how you could do it on a more budget-friendly version because, you know, we hate the idea of somebody being excluded because they can't afford the uh, materials. Yeah, yeah and we, that's, did, um, we did a whole episode of the podcast called uh, Finding a Dumpster <laughs> about um, budget ways. Because when I started cosplaying, I was like below the poverty line. I was making like $14,000 a year. So, you know, something like a 3D printer, no way. Like a regular printer, no way. Like yep, right. to print out like sewing patterns or um any kind of pattern that you needed to print like couldn't do it because I couldn't I didn't have a printer so um yeah I think that like you said things like 3d printers becoming more affordable the price of warble has gone down quite a bit mm -hmm. um one of the things like I'm really accessible yeah one, one of the things I'm really interested in I'm, I'm sort of keeping an eye on is is what is the um just because of supply chain stuff, what is the state of plastic right now? Cause I know of a couple of makers that have basically said like this, like what we have is like, we just placed an order for the year and like, we can make just a small number of suits based on this. Um, so it will be really interesting to see like, um, 
you know, what will the, what, what is a, the price point for ABS plastic uh, in the next couple of years? Just if, if a lot like a inflation keeps going up and if, um, excuse me, if there is um, supply chain woes that continue, um, what effect that will be um, on just the larger community. Um, and that, that, I think it could have a real effect um, because, you know, some that if, especially if you know if this stuff isn't cheap and it's harder for people to get in like that can have a real impact on on you know people who really would like to take part but can't and it, it's you know I, I think that fandom you know fandom is, is something that everybody can take part in and share and if if you can't take if if there are, are barriers to that 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 can be you know it's, it's troublesome and it, it's unfortunate because you know you want i want more people to become cosplayers you know you can get the next great insight from somebody or you can just make the next best friend or it can really help somebody. And um, yeah, hope, hopefully we can, it, it'll continue to, you know, remain accessible to a, a wide number of people. For sure. Yeah. Oh, and I think that sometimes, you know, something like a certain material being more expensive, that can be kind of the, no, what is the, what's the famous quote? Necessity is the mother of invention. Mm -hmm. So that's how it was like when, even now, if I'm trying to do something more cheaply, I'll, you know, find a way to do it with, you know, something that you're going to be recycling anyway, or you're going to um, be able to get for a more affordable price. So maybe we'll see, you know, I guess that's something optimistic that if prices do go up, people might find new ways to make things um, that don't require such, but some things just can't be, you know, like, I don't yeah. think it's realistic for people to pick, you know, like share their own sheep. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think there's a, there's something really important in being able to repurpose and recycle and really innovate with the materials that you have on hand. Because like, if you look at the history of, uh, you know, the folks who made all the, like the spaceships for Star Wars back in the seventies, like they, what they were doing is they were just tearing apart model kits and rebuilding them into the spaceships that they have. Um, a bunch of years ago, I came across this really fantastic cosplayer who um, I wrote about it for IO9 and it was um, the, the Tom Cruise movie Edge of Tomorrow. And this guy had basically made this really you know in the, in the film they have he has this exosuit that he's got and this guy basically constructed it out of just all sorts of random junk that he had he had found and it was just a really neat suit it looked really great it, even if it might not be um you know like a one-to-one -one exact replica of you know what, whatever you see in the film it looked really fantastic and there's a lot you can do with with you know, random stuff that you find, you could, you know, find it on the side of the road or find it in your workshop. Um, if you, one example I, I, I did for, I have is, or sorry, another example I have is um, in the corner of the, the book cover uh, for cosplay history, I have, there's a, at the bottom of the sea, there's a, like a space suit looking soldier, uh, looking guy in the corner. He's got like a white and blue space suit. Uh, that's me. And that's, that's a suit that I constructed out of just random crap I found in my basement because I needed another costume for the cover that wasn't, you know, tied to some sort of intellectual property. So what I have, what I, what I constructed that out of is the helmet is a is Chinese um, fighter jet helmet that I had picked up because it was used in the expanse. Um, that was the the most expensive thing. It was like, a, it was a couple hundred bucks off of eBay. And I think, which is where the, uh, the, the show found them. Um, 
and a bunch of other expanse cosplayers have have picked up those helmets and repurposed them for this for just that uh for just that use is, is for cosplay um the chest plate is uh the back of a mandalorian suit that i had been playing with um the blue box on that is a toolbox that i painted blue um there's some other little greebles like like um like uh, medicine bottle caps and like a bits of a flashlight um the tubes are some i think i pulled them up from another costume uh the thing around my midsection is basically foam with some um the plastic chicken crate the, the chicken flat containers you, you get chicken in that i had basically I, I basically saved those and i use them for paint and stuff so i was like all right these are the right size so maybe they're i don't know ask uh, life support boxes or something and then uh, on top of that i put like a radio and some other bits and pieces and then the gauntlets are from a stormtrooper and i just i just added all sorts of crap onto it just to make it look and painted it up to make it look cool and you know there's so much you can do with that and it, it was a lot of fun it was a really fun process yeah that's for me actually making a cosplay that's probably my favorite part is thinking of a creative way to use something that you would never think could be used for a costume. My old favorite was Happy Meal milk jug lids. Because mm. they were like these really cool looking, like they just looked cool for lack of a better word. They were like tapered. So they were bigger on top than on bottom. And they had kind of a pattern in the sides. And now it's just like a regular cap like a regular bottle cap so that was a significant blow for me whenever mcdonald's changed the happy meal milk my favorite thing. my favorite thing is the um the uh wire connector the they're they they're like a it's like a cap for to cap wires with and they have a little they have a mm. little um screw thing on the inside so if you put two mm -hmm. wires in and you screw it together you'll you'll get a good connection uh those make terrific little knobs for like like uh, detail oh, like if, if you have like a little yeah. um i think one, one of the things that i have you can't really see it in that picture on the corner um but i'm holding what was a, an, a, a broken xbox power supply that i basically hooked into the suit it's got a, the wire on one end and i basically add glued a whole bunch of those on there and then uh, a bit of a calculator and a a, uh, a radio antenna and basically made my own I don't know what what is the, uh, the like a not a tricorder but like a little like I don't know sensor thing. <laughs> I have to find out some word for it, but yeah, like like those little detail things, and you know, I, I I I'm constantly anytime I find like something like that on the ground as I'm walking around, or if I like have like random little bits of odd shaped plastic or greeblies or something like I I always pick them up and save them because like you never know what you can use those for, and I know I can always use them for something. If, if I'm kit bashing something or if I'm um, just making something, you can always, you can always find some purpose for it. Um, a couple of years ago, my, my dishwasher decided to explode and we tore it out. And before we threw it, threw it away, I, I sort of stripped it for some of the electronics parts. And I was sort of teaching my kid, like, you know, this is how you can make your own little gizmo. And um, we had a, there's a piece of curved plastic, uh, sorry, cur piece of curved metal. So it was like sort of flat and then it sort of bent up a bit um, at like a, I don't know, like a 30, 30 degree angle or something. And so I'm like, all right, so now you can put, add this little bit on and you can, we can glue this on. We made, we base made what's called, a, we just called the gizmo. And we spent the afternoon just wandering around the woods behind our house, you know, pretending that it was like some sort of science fiction thing. 
it was a lot of fun. It was, and just the building process for that was just, it was so, so enjoyable. Um, you know, we, we've made a couple of others since then and it's, it's, it's always been a good time. So. Yeah. My dad's pole barn is where I go shopping a lot. Uh, cause he has just weird random. I did a GLaDOS from, uh, the portal games a few years ago. Mm. And I was like, I need just like a ton of wires. And my dad was like, I've got, you know, <laughs> hundred feet of wire in the barn. And I was like, why? And he was like, I got it an auction. And then you might, you might need it someday. someday. This is yeah, why I, I never throw away. <laughs> I never throw away a piece of wood. Cause yeah. you know, I know yeah. the minute I throw it away, it's going to be, yeah, I want to need it. And right now yeah. I'm actually building a chicken coop behind my house. And I've used a whole bunch of pieces of wood that I have saved over the years. <laughs> Cosplay yeah, is for hoarders for sure. Yeah, Paige and I have yes, said before that cosplay makes you kind of into a hoarder because anything that looks like it might be remotely useful, you're like, mm, better not throw this away. Yeah, I'm like uh -huh. the furthest thing from a hoarder with most things. And when I started cosplaying, <laughs> like my mom is super crafty and like is like an amazing seamstress. So she was the hoarder. And now she has started like cleaning out her hoarder stash and sending it down to my house and like being like, don't you need these curtains I found at Goodwill? Like they'll make awesome. And I'm like, yeah, I do. I do need yeah. those. Like, mm -hmm. like, it's just anything. I'm like, I need this scrap of fabric for something. I'm sure. Between like mom and my dad, we could probably make like three to four cosplays a piece oh, <laughs> with nope. all the stuff they've just collected Easily. over the years. I was just, recently making a crystal sword and my dad doesn't normally like he's okay with cosplay he just doesn't normally get that interested in it but when it was like sword he was like oh cool and he was asking how he's gonna make it and I was like oh I'm gonna need this piece and he was like got that mm -hmm. and I was like well I'm gonna go have to have to go to Home Depot and buy like this fitting and dad was like got that <laughs> so he was like I have all of this like let's work on it together so not only did it save me a ton of money but it you was know, a bonding moment. Yeah, that he got to help me with. And now, you know, because I was like, well, and I need to print out this template. And he was like, we don't need a template for that. And it turns <laughs> out my dad could kind of draw. And I was like, how did it? Well, I don't really understand what my dad's job is, but it turns out he can like <laughs> draw and like design things. And I was like, dad, I didn't know that. I was like, this has been a waste. I've been cosplaying for 10 years. I didn't know you could like make a pattern and a template. And he was like, yeah, it's literally my job. And I was like, why didn't you tell me? Yeah, yeah. So having to figure it out myself, I guess. Um, this is a not necessarily related to cosplay question, but I heard you mention space history. I am mm -hmm. a huge space science geek. So um, just a random question. Do you have a favorite NASA mission? And if so, what is it? All 12. Um, and the reason uh, for that is, is that um, I, hey, I, I love Alan Bean's um, artwork, the, the artwork that he's produced over the years since he, uh, after he became an astronaut. But the one thing that I really liked about, like, uh, one of the things I, I, th I find is really important is the, you can do anything for the first time. The real key is, can you replicate it? And so what Apollo 12 does is, you know, Apollo 11, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, they, they landed on the moon. Yeah, that's fine. Um, you know, Apollo 12, they did it again. And they show that you it wasn't a fluke. And so I've always really had a, a, a real appreciation for, for that mission. And um, 
yeah, if I had to, if I had to sort of point to a favorite, it was, it was that one. Um, because they, they showed that you could, you could land on the moon more than once and, and do even more science and, and exploration. Um, uh, I'd also say Apollo 8 is also a really fun one because it was a, um, you know, it, it was the first time they, they circled, they went and circled the moon. Um, and that was a, you know, a hugely important mission. Um, and there's a couple of other, like, uh, a gem, like, over the course of, of, of researching parts of it, it, like the Gemini missions were all each people forget about that. You know, everybody knows about, um, well, everybody folks know about the Mercury missions because it was the first people in space. And then the, the Apollo missions, but like uh, I've always also had a, a real affinity for the Gemini project because that's where we learned how to, how to work in space. That's where they, they figured out how to rendezvous with um, other spacecraft. That's where they learned how to, you know, just do all the basic things. And, and while like the Russians had done, um, you know, or accomplishing their own milestones, the, that's where we just were really learning step-by-step. Step how do we do each and every step of the Apollo project? Um, and the, the Apollo, you know, any of the Apollos would not have happened without what, what, what took place in Gemini. Yeah. Gemini is my second favorite. Oh depending on the day, sometimes third favorite, but I always ask my students as an extra credit question on their first or second exam and early exam, what if what's your favorite NASA mission or who's your favorite scientist? Just to kind of gauge if they know anything at all about science. And I have so many students that for their favorite NASA mission will put Columbia or Challenger mm. just because they're names that they recognize. So I always warn them, I'm like, guys, that those that was bad. That was a tragedy. You don't yep. like don't put it down to try to impress me that you know it. Like I promise you that's not going to be your favorite. So um, yeah, yeah, that was an interesting take. I had not thought about Apollo 12 that way. That made me appreciate Apollo 12 more. So yeah, I've got, um, My, and I got interested in, in so, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, I got so, interested in space history through my master's work. Um, I had been interested in science fiction for a long time, but like one of the things that I really, really got interested in while I was researching that, you know, as a as a grad student, was uh, it was um, the military roots of manned spaceflight was the um, was the uh, title of of my final paper for that. Um, these days, I, I, I would retitled it, uh, you know, the man uh, sorry the military roots of crude spaceflight. But it was basically looking at like, what's the, how do you go from, um, you know, missile, you know, ICBM, you know, technology being purposed, you know, for war, you know, war, wartime um, as part of the Cold War. And how do you sort of evolve that into a civilian spaceflight um, stance? And that was a really fascinating series of, of events. And just, it, it was, it really sort of got me thinking, you know, about like, you know, how do you, how does history progress and how do, how do individual actions make up what we know of as history and in some really fascinating ways. So that, that was a big influence on, on how I sort of understood and learned about history. Um, I know Jesse would just love to continue this NASA talk because she <laughs> wants so badly to turn this into like a math slash uh, science slash classical music podcast, but it's not. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna be the buzzkill here and ask you if you have a favorite personal cosplay uh, story, like something funny that happened in cosplay or like a genuine, like cool moment. What's that like? Here's my, here's my cosplay story. Yeah. So my, 
I don't know if I'd call it a favorite, but probably one of the most most impactful stories was we had a kid. Five Hundred First does a lot with, um, at least here locally, we do a lot with Make a Wish, and Make a Wish is one of our partners. Um, we had a kid up here in Vermont, Sammy, who had um, he he was a wish he was part of Make a Wish. He had a brain tumor, and he was. Um, his wish was to go to Disneyland and he wanted to see the Star Wars, some of the Star Wars stuff. I'm trying to think when this was. This was probably 2018, 2018, 2017, 2018. It was right around, it was December. So it's a little, I can't remember exactly when it was. Um, and um, they wanted to get, they wanted to announce that his wish was granted before he had a, a really major surgery. Uh, he, he had a, a tumor that was like, it, it grew into his brain incredibly fast you know we, we had maybe 30 30 of our members showed up for this thing in southern vermont which is hard to get to we had chewbacca come up from from massachusetts and a whole bunch of members come up from all over the place and uh he was like you know we 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 revealed his wish was granted and he was you know he and the family were incredibly moved and i just i cannot forget just how his voice was shaking. And when he said, you know, when he was thanking us, they gave him the microphone and he was thanking us for coming up and, and just how scared he was about the surgery. And just, it was just, it was so, it was so terrifying. And I, I was a parent, I'm a parent. I have, I have two kids of my own and I just can't fathom how difficult that, you know, to, to get that news and just have to face that. And, um, yeah, like, you know, we, we made his day brighter. I mean, we, we were able to sort of bring, you know, he got to meet his favorite character in the world, Chewbacca and, and Han, and they, they basically sat down and he was, he was asking all sorts of questions. Um, and a, a couple of months later, uh, he, he, last I heard, he, he had gone through the surgery well and he was, he was going to be off to Disney. We then came back. So this was, I don't know, maybe six months later. And um, we escorted him to the airport in a, they had a limo um, and a police escort. And we based, and that was like the one time I've been in armor in the back of a police car and um, just speeding down the streets of Burlington, Vermont and to deliver him to the airport. And it was just this, both of those events together have just, they, they are so impactful because it, it shows just how powerful, you know, costuming can be for kids and for, for families and for, for just people who are fans of those characters. This is the reason we do it. We, we do it to bring some level of joy to kids who might need it or to people around us. And um, that's, that's, that's a really powerful thing. It's just, it's a, you know, we're, we're taking these imaginary characters and bringing them to the real world. And with that, like all of the, you know, the heroics and the, the lessons and the morals that come with those films, whether or not you're a good or bad guy. I mean, like, you know, like, obviously, like, I don't subscribe to any of the Empire's views, but, you know, like, it's <laughs> part of that world and you bring that world to life. And you can think that those good things that you learn from those films, you could, you know, it, it, you, you watch the film and it's, it's this intangible, or it's this lesson that you get from it. But when you bring part of that world to life, you know, th those lessons come into, into the real world as well. And so that's, yeah, that's my, my, one of my favorite, my favorite, but it's one of the most impactful stories that I've had. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. Like we, I can't, I can't imagine having to do that as a parent myself, but um, 
Wow. Yeah. We like to say, we like to say in the Bible first that it is a really good thing we wear helmets because, you know, we will be sobbing underneath. Oh, yeah. so it, it, they, these can be incredibly emotional, like even like hospital visits where, you know, these are kids facing these extraordinary, you know, trials and just being able to just, you know, lighten lighten the load somehow if we make their lives you know just a little bit better for that one day um and i've, I've heard so many stories of, of people who have gone to do hospital visits and you know if it, sometimes the kids survive and sometimes they don't and like the parents come back to us and they say like no what you did mattered right. and it helped in so many ways and that we just you know that's why we do it um and you know there, there are groups out there like, there's like a uh i want to say it's like critical uh uh, critical care comics that's what it is and you know they, they dress up as superheroes and they visit kids in hospitals and like um one of the things one of the phrases that i've used to just sort of describe what i do is like you know it if i it's something that makes a very self-indulgent hobby a little bit less self-indulgent because we can sort of give back to the community and, and really you know do some really some good with with what we do and um yeah and, and i i think that every cosplayer has the ability to do that to some extent so did writing the book change the way you look at or think about cosplay at all? A couple of ways. Um, it certainly reinforced a lot of that, a lot of the community building stuff. Uh, and just through talking with, with folks um, and getting their, you know, their perspectives. Cause I, like as a cosplayer, like I only have my perspective of where, um, you know, of, of, of how I look at cosplay. So like getting, getting all those, like a, a lot of really interesting perspectives um, and different perspectives was great. Was great. Um, I'm trying to think of like, there's one that was really kind of interesting for me. Um, what, one of them was, it was, it, someone was telling me like, I was, I was talking to them about like, cause they're, they're a 501st member or a rebel legion member. And, um, but also another, a regular cost, like another, like a cosplayer who does non star Wars stuff. And they were talking about like, like the value of community um, like the 501st or the rebel legion or any of the other groups that are out there, like sort of provides, which is a little bit different from if you're sort of going out on your own and you're making your own um, uh try to find the right word for it like if you're if you're sort of like you know if you're sort of like a solo solo cosplayer or if you're part of a group but you're like you sort of you're, you know you know what i mean you're, you're not part of like one of the big established groups and what they were what they were explaining to me is like like what a, like a group like the 501st provides is it, it gives you like resources and and um you know sort of camaraderie within that larger family uh, that is those that is those groups and like there's an extent to that within like the larger cosplay world but like those groups provide like a lot of structure, like institutional structure for like, you know, you can do build days and you can do, um, you know, like just either like, you know, group get togethers and like that, those, those functions have a really important uh, purpose within like the, the social element of what is the 501st Rebel Legion. Um, just in that, you know, it, it, they bring people together around this, you know, common interest. So that was a really sort of important thing that I learned. And or or sort of had it reinforced, I think, a little bit more that and, and just it had me look at it in some slightly different ways because like I came up in the five hundred first group in the five hundred first legion, and so like to me it was like yeah, build days are sort of like a thing that we just do, and it just didn't quite occur to me that like um, you know they weren't you, you can't really invite all your your Instagram your Instagram followers to come and take part in a build day because you know nobody really wants to invite your Instagram followers to your house. Um, <laughs> There's like there's like a level of trust that I think communities provide. Um, 
I think the other thing that here is just that how diff, how varied and how interesting the history has been just because um like the the first cause like Forrest Ackerman and Moreau like they were sort of outlier like they were they started one tradition of the of, of the field um which is like to bring cosplayers to you know to wear costumes to conventions and what, was, what i found really interest, interesting out of that is that that was like how costuming was sort of done in fan communities was this very institutional thing where you would go to a, you would go to a con but it was the primary focus was usually always on books um um short stories movies things like that but like the costuming element was was this was the only thing you did was you would you'd bring your costume to the masquerade in the costume contest and there was a lot of resistance to people sort of just wearing their costume outside of that environment like you know they they sort of referred to it as hall costuming and there was a little bit of a derision towards it i think and you know that came in with star trek like because you know star trek costumes are comfy you don't have to really you don't really need a lot to get to get into one and i and there was this like sort of this cultural shift as star trek became a really popular thing within fandom and um you know star trek sort of split off into its own fandom and in its own sort of competing branch of this larger history and star wars did the same thing and uh, you know anime is its, its own thing um so i think that was kind of an in in interesting revelation just how um I think the best sort of the best way to put it like you know how fandom has evolved and how it has sort of changed and shifted and weaved its way in all different ways um ultimately like you know we're all fans and I think that there's sort of that bigger common denominator that we like this story and how we express ourselves you know you can sort of put into its own little branches like I'm I will go to a convention I will go to you know I'll wear a costume of this character or I will write my own fan fiction things like that and um yeah, just that that sort of branch and just how different fandoms sort of have evolved over the years. Um, and one of the things I really wanted to do with the book was sort of to explore like not just how this this was, you can see this in science fiction fantasy, but like um, Civil War reenacting and World War II reenacting or living history and like how does costuming play a role there? And, and like, you know, I went to uh, World War II weekend in Pennsylvania a couple of, uh, last year. Um, Pennsylvania in July is a lot of fun to be outside for a big outdoor event where you're wearing wool and um, <laughs> heavy, heavy uniforms. Um, but like I was talking to some of like the, some of the guys who did like, uh, you know, American infantry costumes and they were exactly the same type of people that were in the 501st. They were like super obsessed with like getting the right costume. They were willing to pay a buttload of money to get like the right elements and the right, just to make it a little bit more accurate. And it just, the enthusiasm was just, you know, it's the same exact type of enthusiasm. So I, I think that like one of the things that I really, I came away with was just this renewed idea of that, like, you know, we're all fans and we're all part of this much larger thing. Even if we don't, you know, I might be a Star Trek, a Star Wars fan or someone might be a Star Trek fan. Like we're still fans. And um, yeah, it's, it's just like this, you know, this large Venn diagram of like, all right, we're fans. And then within it's a little circle of all these other little fans. And, but we're all part of this, uh, you know, we're all sort of on the journey together, I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. So you're talking about how similar we all are, just that we're all fans. So kind of in a contrast, one of the reoccurring topics that we um, have come across in our discussions with just the different cosplayers we've met and made friends with is the difference between costuming and cosplaying. Um, from your standpoint, uh, you know, as a cosplayer and someone who's done the research, 
do you see a difference there? What do you think the difference is? It's kind of hard to say because like some of the differences can be super pedantic. Um, my, my personal definition, and I, I, I try to steer away from really strict hard and fast rules for like defining this is cosplay and this is not cosplay. Um, my, my approach to it has always been like, if you, this is, cosplay is a way of expressing fan, your fandom through costuming. And um, I think if I were to put any really hard and fast rules on it, it's like there, you've got, you're doing it as a fan and you're relating to us, you're, you're trying to interact with this, with a story or source text in some way, whether that's a, a movie, a book, a comic book, a TV show, a video game, an internet meme. Um, I, I don't think that like science fiction uh, cosplay is like science fiction cost fan costuming. Like, I, I don't, I don't think that really is, is a good way to approach it. Um, I think, you know, obviously costuming is a much larger thing because, you know, you have sort of professionals who do it through theatrical or, or, or cinematic um, environments. Um, you, like an, an actor sort of dressing up as their, as their own character to sort of visit a hospital. It doesn't quite seem like cosplay to me because it's sort of part of the role that they're playing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's basically a fan activity, I think, is, is the best way to put it. And um, I, when, I, when I first announced the book back in 2019, I got a couple of people who were sort of like, eh, you know, we're not really cosplayers, we're doing costuming. And, and I know within the 501st circles, there are some people who are fairly resistant to the term cosplay. Um, and I think because, A, there are lingering um, impressions of what anime, what the you know, anime and, and Japanese animation is... Um, where the term cosplay comes from and some either some stigma or misperceptions of that, which I don't really, I think just, you know, if you, if you sort of think about it more deeply than just rejecting it, it'll make sense. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I, I think that, you know, I, I think that those distinctions really just don't matter that much. I, I think, you know, if, if you're, if you can call it whatever you want, I think this, I just, I just look at it as a, it, it's basically a fan activity. It's, it's a way to express your fandom and um, whether that's for a fictional and like, I guess, you know, if it's, it's cosplay, if it's a fictional character, it's reenacting. If it's a, um, if it's a real, if it's a nonfiction story, but like, again, like the source and the, and the, the tenor of that is it's all the same, right? Like the, again, the, the guys who are dressed up as American infantry at world war two weekend are just as, you know, they're, they're fairly, pretty much the same people and you have people who are reenactors and cosplayers and you know I, I think that there's really blurry lines there so uh, you know I try to I try to steer away from like the strict 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 definitions and just you know sort of just you know cosplaying is fan is, is sort of a fan thing maybe costuming is a little bit more of a professional is the professional you know counterpart where like the source material comes from so like the actors who are who are dressed up as sandtroopers in, in a new hope weren't really cosplaying because they were you know doing their they were working for that role and it was it was a role that they're playing does that make sense yeah. yeah we just we just found that interesting because it's something that we've talked about before with like i said different cosplayers and then we recently went to a con and went to a panel that was kind of i think it was titled something about cosplayers for everyone and they kind of went into the definition of cosplay and we got to talking with the panelists who were the cosplay guests for that convention mm -hmm. and we were like we know a lot of people that 
you know, don't like the term cosplay if you're not like in character the whole time. And we know, like, you know, like role playing, you're not doing yeah. the play part. Right. So and we were like, themselves, like, I, you know, they don't do anything differently than us, but they consider themselves costumers and we consider ourselves cosplayers just because they, they consider the role play part to be an integral part of calling it cosplay and we do not and mm -hmm. so and a lot of people do not so just the different yeah. opinions on you know whether there even is a difference or what the difference is or um, people so, even really care like because like we've said the majority of cosplayers and especially like uh, more you know professional or guest cosplayers that we've talked to have been like well, if you're not a cosplayer, if you're not in character, then I'm not a cosplayer. And like, oh, I'm here as a cosplay mm -hmm. guest. Like, you know, we, we just find it really interesting to see like, okay, like are, is the, the general population of the cosplay community, are they on board with this? Or is this just like a random stigma thing that one person said and then somebody else latched onto? So yeah. I think yeah. because we don't tend to role play, you know, we don't generally role play a ton when we're in costume. So, you know, unless you have a lightsaber, that's not <laughs> yeah, role playing. That's you are, me you're contractually obligated to go. I was gonna say, she gets, she goes wild, and none of you are up to my level. <laughs> no one, my boyfriend, Paige, they're all like, you take it too seriously, you hit too hard. And I'm like, that's because I'm trying to. So, yes, I would agree. If I have a lightsaber, like I'm full blown, I will duel anybody. I will put on <laughs> duel of the fates and I will attempt to do tricks and stuff. That's you you would get along with my dot my two and a half year old daughter because she does not hold back when she has a lightsaber in her hand. I have <laughs> smacked myself in the face because she is she has hit me so hard that my own saber comes back and smacks me. Um, we did like a we did like a Marvel Star Wars mashup last year for Dragon Con. So uh, Jesse was like uh, Jedi Loki and I was a Sith Nebula and we went <laughs> and did pictures and we had we brought our like Galaxy's Edge lightsabers and um, <laughs> we were just I thought we were just taking it, it pictures. My oh yeah you had your ultra saber but uh, I thought we were just taking pictures of like us uh, like pretending to fight and she just started no, wailing no, no. on me in the middle of what the photo <laughs> at every opportunity yeah so can't I'm trust her when she has a lightsaber once a week i am to my boyfriend like why won't you ever we have two lightsabers why won't you have a lightsaber battle with me and he's like you hit too hard <laughs> <laughs> get good scrub. that's what i say you would be it's because i'm so skilled yeah what it is it's the only so uh kind of to wrap things up your book is all about the history of cosplay you talk about some challenges that cosplayers have faced from you know the pandemic shutting things down Paige and i experienced that firsthand um from you know people who don't really understand it or might be rude or inappropriate uh when you're in costume so those are some kind of things from the past of cosplay, the history of cosplay, if you will. Um, what do you see 
uh, as the future of cosplay or what do you think are some trends that will continue or maybe some things that are just fads and will die out? That's a really good question because it, it, it's so, it's such a, it's becoming such a big field. Um, there's a couple of things. I think one of them is social media and how, what role does social media continue to play in how we, how we go about cosplaying. So one of the things that I sort of noticed is that there's these cycles that happen, like people will sort of jump on the latest big hit film and you know, they might, maybe they'll do Gamora or like, what are the, what are the films that are coming out this year? So Thor, um, you know, the, uh, um, uh, Natalie Portman's version of Thor will be a mm -hmm. big one. Um, Stranger Things is, is sort of a, is, is one of those that comes out because it's been, it's been a couple of years since we've seen that we've got, um, maybe not Buzz Lightyear because that's a pretty complicated costume, but, um, you, you have these big films that pop up and these big TV shows that pop up over and, and, and people will sort of jump on those, those really popular things and will sort of ride that trend until the next trend comes out. And then they'll go and replicate the next one. And which is great to see, like you see people like, you know, you know, building these things really quickly and, and doing a really good job with it. But at the same time, you know, if you are a professional cosplayer or if you have a really big following, it seems to me like that can be a recipe to really burn yourself out because you're, if you're always trying to sort of chase that trend and trying to stay relevant and just always sort of going, 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 it's, it seems like it, it can just be, it just seems exhausting is, is what it seems like. And I, and I hope that, you know, people will sort of take care of themselves and recognize that, you know, you don't need to necessarily chase, you know, followers or, or folks just because, you know, that's, the environment we're in um i think i think social media can be really bad in that in that way because it can it just doesn't really um it, it just it just leads to a lot of hustle and you know there's there's a value i think there's, there's also a value to you know taking your time and really diving deep on one costume and really perfecting it over years and years um you know some of the folks who, who have worked on stormtroopers or boba fett or uh, right now, short troopers is, is one that there's like there's a guy named Paul Prentice who like his exclusive interest is is trying trying to hone in on the most perfect version of a of a short trooper. So I, I think that, that that there's a lot of value in just sort of lingering with a character and sticking and and trying to like just sort of find those exacting details and 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 just really, um, you know, just immersing yourself in it rather than sort of moving on from one film to another because th there's like a there's an element of um sort of fan preservation where you're sort of you're able to um um preserve the costume and preserve like the, the techniques that go into making it or the 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 incredible detail that you know filmmakers put into creating these costumes in the first place um and uh, social media can be a garbage fire anyway like you know it can be it can be incredibly toxic and and i think for the most part cosplay has been a pretty good um the community at large has been pretty good about keeping it fairly positive and welcoming and and um um optimistic and it's just um yeah i, I hope that doesn't change um i'm trying to think about like other trends that we might see down the road like i don't know if there's really any big technological trends that are like like 3d printing seemed to be like a really big technological change that really changed a lot of things uh you know but like I don't know that there's really anything that like, we're going to have that really tops that or really changes how we go about doing things other than, 
know, we have like processes like vacuum forming or sculpting or, or um, foam, foam work or, um, you know, use, using 3D printing or, or using a laser cutter. You know, I think those, those tools are, are um, you know, here to stay. I think that what, what one of the technological trends we'll probably see is the interfaces and the, um, the ways that we go about using these tools will change. Um, I, I had the 3D, pr I, I had a, a piece break on my freezer, so I wanted to make a handle. And it was a very simple shape, basically. You take a, a flat plane and curve one end of it. And it took me like three hours to actually model that because the, the 3D printing software that I was using was just not <laughs> user-friendly. And I, I think for the most part, like a lot of that software has been designed for people who are really in the weeds and who have used this software for, for years on a professional level. Um, I think that sort of the next frontier is not so much the next 3D printer, but the next user interface that will really make it easy for people to use. And to really, and once, once that happens, um, we'll see, you know, an explosion of, of things on Thingiverse or, or wherever you find 3D models. Um, because people that'll sort of un, you know make it easier for people to sort of unleash that creativity on the world well, at least that's a hope yeah no listen i agree with that i agree with that we have a 3d printer and my husband has to run it because i don't understand it so i totally i totally agree i hope that there is a more user-friendly interface coming our way so um well we really appreciate you being on the podcast to wrap up, why don't you tell us and your our listeners um, where they can find you on social media, where they can get your book, all that good stuff. You can find the book at any place you buy a book. Um, so if it's <laughs> Barnes Noble or Amazon, your local indie bookstore, you can request it at your library. Um, those, those are all the places. Uh, if you go to um, uh, Simon, Simon and Schuster's website um, and type in cosplay history, you'll you'll find it. And it has a whole bunch of links. Um, it's available as a trade paperback, as an ebook, and as an audiobook. Um, the narrator for that is uh, Eunice Wong, and she did a phenomenal job um, reading it. Um, you can find me online. Um, I'm on Twitter at, at Andrew Liptak, all one word. I'm on Instagram at, at Liptak AA. Um, and I write a newsletter called Transfer Orbit. Um, and you can find that at transfer orbit.ghost.io. And um, you can also find me on Facebook at. Um, I've got an author page. If you type in Andrew Liptak, um, you'll find uh, any search you should, that should pop up with my, the, the page. And I usually will, will post stuff that I've been writing um, over there. So um, yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for being on with us today. We really appreciate it. Um, we are excited thank about you. your book and uh, we hope that it does really well. Me too. It's, it's been, and, and one, one thing I'll, I'll note is like, this has been a project that has been stuck in my head since like 2016. So six years. Um, I, I'm really excited and nervous to see people, you know, getting to finally read it. And, you know, like there's that, there's that meme of, of Charlie from always sunny with the, the, the crazy um, murder board behind him. Like, yeah, ah. that's, that's, that's actually that's Jesse. It, that's actually Jesse. Uh, that's just the whole project. Yeah. You guys yeah. have a lot in common. Yeah. <laughs> I've been compared to that meme uh, on more occasions than I would like to admit. Yeah, you guys. That's have a how lot it's in felt. In, <laughs> that's how it's felt in my head, and yeah. you know, it, so far people seem to have really liked it, and um, I'm really glad that you you folks had me on. And um, I'm, I'm, as I said, I really hope that people enjoy it. I really hope that um, uh, somebody picks it up and is inspired to do a cosplay of their own some uh, at some point. So. 
we'll we'll see yeah well hopefully and hopefully we'll see you out on the convention floor sometime soon so looking forward to it okay guys thank you so much for listening in today we hope that you enjoyed hearing a little bit about andrew and his cosplay journey and kind of his writing process with um his book um i know we were really excited when his team reached out to us and asked us to chat with him after the release of his book it was a really cool opportunity for us and we enjoyed getting to know him so if you want to follow along with him uh, we will be posting the his links and stuff in our uh, show notes. Um, but you can also follow along with us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Cosplay and Cocktails Pod. We are on. Uh, yeah, if you haven't heard, we have a website now. Um, our website is podpage.com forward slash cosplay pod. Um, it's kind of your one-stop shop for all things cosplay and cocktails. Uh, it's got um, all of our episodes. You can uh, send us a message directly on there. Uh, it's got all of our social links. It's got uh, links to the podcast on every player that we're on. So. Yeah, check it out if you haven't already. Um, it's the easiest place probably to find what you're looking for. Uh, if you're looking for something related to our podcast. Um, I also have my alt um, cosplay on cocktails social accounts that you can send things to. Uh, if you want to send things there, you can send me uh, weird fish pics, as always. Interesting plants and mushrooms. Uh, classical music pieces that I should listen to. Um, you can send us cocktail recipes, mocktail recipes. Um, cosplays you want us to feature, people you want us to interview on the podcast. Um corrections uh answers to i'm gonna ask you a question questions for i'm gonna ask you a question really just anything that you'd like to go ahead and send it if you want to be mean it will hurt my feelings so just be aware of that that i am a real human being and um please don't be mean to me i have feelings uh, other than that, you can really send me any, don't send me anything that's going to get me in trouble with the government either, uh, or like the police or nothing gross and nothing mean and nothing that will get me into trouble with law enforcement. Other than that, have at it, go crazy. Uh, if you want to send us any of that, you can send it to one of the following places. Our email, which is cosplayandcocktailspod at gmail.com. That's gmail.com. Uh, you can also send it to our punk rock email, which is cosplaypod at gmail.com. Uh, or I am on TikTok and uh, Instagram at cosplay pod so the word cosplay and pod like the christian new metal band that i was a fan of as a youngling 
Uh, and you can also message us directly through our website. Our website, once again, is podpage, P-O-D-P-A-G-E, dot com forward slash cosplay pod. Uh, so, yeah, any place there, uh, you can follow us there as well. Yeah. Um, okay, are we done? I think we're done. <gasps> okay, bye! Bye! Wow.